I believe the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Welcome to our sixth video on the Apostles' Creed. In the previous video, we talked about the, the pinnacle or deepest part of Christ's humiliation, his experiencing of the wrath of God on the cross, an important doctrine without which uh, we would have no reconciliation without his uh, atonement taking our place against God's wrath, of God's wrath. Uh, but now we don't end with that. He suffered that, he died, he was buried as we've considered already, and he remained under the power of death, but only for a time, three days in fact. And then he rose again from the dead. And we talk today about the exaltation of King Jesus. He, was, he had his humiliation, now he has his exaltation, and uh, we see this in a number of, of historic events. First, his resurrection from the dead on the third day. It was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't just that his, his spirit came back to guide us. It wasn't something more ethereal than that, or something more... Uh, vague than that, that the, you know, the spirit of Christ dwelt on in his followers. It was that the dead body that was at one point in that tomb now had life and breath in it again. He rose again from the dead on the third day. This is a historic event, a fact you know, it's been commented by uh, some pastors and theologians that there are any number of events that we accept as genuine history on the basis of two to five eyewitness accounts from the time uh, that make it into our history books. No question. These people all testified that this event took place. When it comes to Jesus raising again from the dead, rising up with his uh, physical body gl glorified, but it was the same body resurrected and his soul reunited with that body. We have how many witnesses? We have four gospels. Well, that's, that's not it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a quite astonishing list that we have presented to us. Paul writes the following, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 4, on the third day he was raised in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, that is, some had died. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. It's a, a powerful list that Paul gives us there. 
that Christ came to Peter and revealed himself. Then he revealed himself to the 12. Now that would have been the 11 minus Judas, but with Matthias included there. Remember in Acts when the apostles elect a new 12th apostle to replace Judas, one of the requirements is that he not only spent the three years of Christ's public ministry in the seminary of Christ with the rest of them, but that he was also a, a, a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And then, of course, James, the half-brother of Christ. And what a great witness that is. Here's someone who does not seem to have been supportive of Christ's ministry when he was on earth. And yet, after the resurrection, Christ revealed himself to his half-brothers, to James and to the others, and they became his servants. And then last of all, to Paul, who was one that is the least because he persecuted the church. He's saying, hey, remember, I'm the last person you would expect to say that I had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, but I did. So the exaltation of Christ begins with his resurrection. It is witnessed by over 513 individual witnesses. And many of those were still alive when Paul was challenging them to look into the facts. And yet, no one disproved it. No one came back and said, there's no 500. It's two of you made this up. Didn't happen. But his exaltation isn't just that he rose from the dead. Uh, he then ascended into heaven. We find this recorded in a number of places. Acts chapter 1 is probably the the most extended uh, look at the event as he talks to them and then was raised up into heaven and an angel comes and talks to the apostles. I encourage you to, to read that. Uh, Christ ascended into heaven. Another place it's recorded is at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And there we read in um, verse... 19. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong verse there. Uh, Mark 16, verse 19, we read, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, that's the apostles, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ was raised up into heaven. He ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God. What does sit down mean when Mark says that there? Well, it does not mean that Jesus was just lazy. Well, I'm going to sit around for 2,000-something years before I do anything else. No, we, we know that isn't the case. Uh, in one sense, what we're seeing him do is begin a new work. He's now continually interceding for those whom he purchased with his blood. But something more powerful than that is even being said, uh, not more powerful, but equally powerful and important, is being said in the gospel when we're told that he ascended to heaven and sat down. We're being told that he had completed a work. It was done. This is a, a, a period, a decisive period on Christ's own words on the cross. It is finished. He sat down at the Father's right hand. We ought to reflect on Genesis. 
in Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. And he says very good at the end of the sixth day. The seventh day, God rested from all the work which he had done. Now, we know he didn't rest in a lazy sense where he stepped back and just let things be or the whole universe would fall apart. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he indeed through Christ, God the Son, the eternal Son, member of the Trinity, that God not only created but sustains all things. So when we read in Genesis 1 that God created all of this and then he rested the seventh day, he ceased to create. He didn't cease to do all things. He sustained all things, even as he ceased to do his work. He put the period on the work. It's done. And he sustains it. The same thing's being told to us in Mark chapter 16. Christ completed a work. He rested at the Father's right hand from all the work of redemption which he had done. He doesn't need to add to his redemptive work, but he does sustain the people whom he has created for good works. Remember, Christ has saved us. We're created, recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, book of Ephesians. And what is Christ doing? He ceases from the work of redemption he had done. He sits down at the Father's right hand. There he intercedes continually for us to sustain us, to keep us reconciled to the Father, to keep the Father reconciled to us uh, throughout all history and into eternity because his intercession, his pleading is, look at me, not them. Look at my blood, not their sin. A wonderful declaration. So his exaltation is not laziness. His exaltation to the Father's right hand is him declaring the work of redemption complete and the new creation being sustained by him. And then we confess his exaltation as he one day will return to judge all men, women, and children in history. He will return to planet Earth in judgment, the king returning to the rebellious city, First Thessalonians tells us he'll be met in the air by those who believed. His people, the faithful subjects, will go out from the rebellious city to meet him in the air, both those who are alive and those who have died before his return from all of history. And we then will return with him to planet Earth, where he will judge all men, women, and children. His judgment should be taken seriously. It will be his exalted moment of bringing in the consummation, the completion of all his labor and the entrance into the eternal rest for his people. But it should also give us pause if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 emphasizes how we ought to think about the exalted Christ and about his return. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He, that is God, who sits in heaven, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This is the voice of Christ prophetically. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So David concludes, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord. We could say from the New Testament, this one, uh, this King Jesus, serve him with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The exaltation of Christ is a wonderful thing. It brings blessing to all those who put their trust in him. But if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as the Savior for your sin, kiss the Son now. Kiss the Son lest he be angry with you. When he returns, there will be no accepting of those who, after the fact, try to repent. Today is the day of salvation. While the exalted king sits on his throne, when he returns, he will judge, and his anger will be fierce. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. With the Apostles' Creed, I believe that he rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the world on the last day.